0: can extend my curiosity, I can ask great questions, I can listen carefully, I can help them identify what the real challenge is, enroll them in coming up with ideas for what is the best solution, help them define what their options are for how they want to solve it, you're more likely to get a positive outcome from that approach than selling the bits and bytes.
1: Yeah, there's something that may potentially happen along the way, which is you actually help them understand the problem in a whole new way. It's bigger, it's deeper, it's more profound, it's shifted off to the left. Then the self is the win. Now you're like, these people helped me figure
0: out what was really going on. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Michael Bungay-Stanier. Michael's the author of one of my favorite books, The Coaching Habit. And he's the author of a brand new book titled The Advice Trap. Be humble, stay curious, and change the way you lead forever. And Michael's joining me today on Sales Enablement, episode 771, to talk about the three main problems with giving advice. One is your advice doesn't work. Two, you're oftentimes trying to solve the wrong problem with that advice. And three, the solution you propose is most often pretty mediocre. So as a result, you risk becoming what Michael calls an advice monster. So, we're going to dig into what it means for a manager or leader to become an advice monster and get into what the consequences are for both the advice receivers as well as the advice givers. And we'll dive into some concrete steps you can take to effectively coach and give advice. All that and much more. But before we get to Michael, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and review. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Michael, welcome back to the show. Andy, it is good
1: to be back. The newly refreshed, newly decorated new new wallpaper, but same awesome infrastructure type of podcast. (laughs) I love it.
0: Yes, much better wallpaper. That's a great way to put it than we had before. And a a beautiful new name as well. So yeah, nice to have you back. You were your third time, you're you know, in the sort of elite strata of guests. I know. Are
1: we going to have anything to talk about? I don't know. We might have to make light entertaining or anything. I could, I could run you through my stand-up comedy routine.
0: Well, I think we could try to leave some time at the end for that, but we do, <laughs> we do have a new book from you to talk about. We do. Which, um, yeah, people listen to the show know that I'm a, <laughs> a fanboy, basically, of Michael Bungay-Stanier. Thank and, you. And, um... The first book, The Coaching Habit, which is uh, a fabulous book and not just for people that are interested in becoming more effective coaches. As I tell people, it's also one of the great sales books <laughs> because the process you use to coach is pretty similar to the process you should use to sell.
1: You know, I was uh, I was in the Ring DNA's uh, sales book, you know, bracket playoffs, and I got knocked out by Phil Jones, who's a friend of mine. So I feel <laughs> a bit resentful about that. And then he got knocked out by Keith Fer- Ferrazari, who is also a friend of mine. So I'm like, all right, so at least I'm getting knocked out by people I know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we need to get Phil on the show. He's not not been on it yet. But um, so the new book is called, and it's really a sort of follow on a companion yeah. piece, a playbook, if you will, for the Coaching Habit. Called the advice trap. Be yeah. humble, stay curious, and change the way you lead forever. And um, yeah, you did another <laughs> good job with it again. You're one of these thank people you. make me feel inadequate when I read things that you've written <laughs> compared to what I write myself. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, keep me motivated.
1: Well, let me ask you. Let me let me be nosy and go. So, what is it about the book that? gives you that reaction. I know you're saying it partly in jest, but w- why does it f- <laughs> make you feel inadequate?
0: Because you do such a good job of of writing what I tried to do, which is just take the complex and make it simple. And, right. and I think this is so important because it's so easy to make things <laughs> overly complex and so much right. of what people try to describe in the sales world is just that. I mean, yeah, there's lots of science behind the way people think and make decisions on the way that we approach people and engage, but you can also simplify it to some really core concepts, which you've done, which I, I try to do, and exactly. and just make it easy for people to access the material.
1: Well, I think that's the key, that's a, a key insight, and that's really worth worth hearing for the folks listening in, which is that ability to move you know simplicity on the other side of complexity as somebody once said is an extre- is 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 extremely powerful if you can move it to that and i do it by just rewriting and rewriting and rewriting <laughs> you know these books of mine which are, are relatively short and hopefully are a relatively easy read only get there by being cr- longer and crappier <laughs> through <laughs> many drafts before I finally sound, make it sound like I effortlessly just dashed it off overnight. Um, but I do also think that it's one of the kind of meta skills that if you're in the world of sales, which is to be able to bring your prospect or bring your your you know your customer or your partner to a place where they're finding elegance, that simplicity on the other side of complexity. It moves you into a type of relationship with them that moves beyond the transactional, you know, I'm pushing Tim mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to a, you're actually helping me see the world in a different way. And that's a powerful place to be. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And yeah, thanks to you, I've, I, and you and I share some resources we use to produce and publish our books. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm sitting there all week when I was reading your book. I was like, oh yeah, I'm starting over again. <laughs> So yeah. Amanda, if you're listening, I'm sorry, yeah. but oh, you're working a with Amanda,
1: of, our, our co-editor. Yeah, she, a lot of she's... a lot
0: of rewriting down the coming down the path, but <laughs> <laughs> it'll be it'll be better Perfect. because yeah. So all right, so let's start. What what is the advice trap?
1: Well, you know the the coaching habit has been this amazing success, and just as you said in the intro, it's not really written for people who are already coaches, although that's a big part of the people who buy it. It's really written for normal people, (laughs) if you want to put it like that. People who are in the world of interacting with other human beings. Because the fundamental belief of the coaching habit is being more coach-like, which boils down to, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? Is a powerful way to have better conversations and better relationships. And, you know, that book has sold, well, it's, I think it's about 800,000 copies now, which is, you know, amazing. amazing. <laughs> amazing. Right. It is, it is truly extraordinary. I'm so, I'm still kind of thrilled by it every time I, I realize that. And I get emails and messages all the time from people going, you know what? I picked up the seven questions. I started using them and you know, it's changed. It's changed the way I sell as coach parent, all sorts of things. And I love that. But Andy, there's, Also, a bunch of people who picked up the book, read it, went, you know, it's well-written or not, you know, it's funny or not. Um, I I get the seven questions in theory. In practice, I'm finding it really hard to shift my behavior, to Mm -hmm. be more curious. Even though I get it, in practice, I find it really hard to shift. And I bet you this happens all the time in sales because, you know, like I'm not a sales expert, but I know... I know enough to say, you know, the rookie mistake that people make in sales is they try and sell too fast. <laughs> They're like, "I've mm-hmm. got a thing. Let me try and tell you about my thing." As opposed to going, "You've got a problem. What's what's going on for you?" And maybe I have a solution for you. Maybe I don't, but maybe I do. Right. And even though we all know this, I mean, there's not a single person listening to this podcast who doesn't know that. In theory, in practice, I bet you there's a bunch of guilty people out there going, "Yeah, you know what." Now you mention it, I do start to push my solution a little too soon.
0: Yeah. Well, prescribe before they diagnose.
1: Yeah, exactly. And
0: and that is the one of the typical faults of sellers. But yeah, also as we're going to speak about it, it is a particular problem of managers and sales leaders who are trying to coach the people that work for them. Yes. And so this is one of the big trends that, that has occurred in sales over the last year, somewhat driven by the technology that's that's come into sales, is Everything's become more prescriptive and formulaic. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, we've we've lost sight of this this the human aspect of it, which your books do such a great job of emphasizing, both from coaching people to realize their own potential as well as working in a similar fashion with your buyers.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the third beneficiary of this, because if, you, if you're able to introduce this kind of concept of being more coach-like in the way you interact, sure, it benefits the people you're managing and leading and trying to make better coaches or better salespeople. Sure, it benefits your prospects, so you're likely to make more sales and have better relationships. But the other thing you've got to remember is being more coach-like helps you have a better life. (laughs) It helps you work a little less hard and have more impact in the work that you do because you're not busy trying to solve other people's problems, to have all the answers, to rescue all the people, to keep control of all the uncontrollable stuff. You actually understand how to move responsibility and accountability and growth and empowerment and confidence and confidence to the to the level where it belongs, mm-hmm. which is out of your hands and out of your head and into the 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 hands and heads of the people that you're working with.
0: Well I think the one of the common themes between the books is you know, if you're implementing this, both as the giver as well as the recipient, is to make people just better human beings.
1: Yeah. And I
0: think if you can do that, that translates into benefits in whatever role you play in your career, whether it's a seller or a manager or something completely outside sales.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I founded a company called Box of Crayons, which is a, a learning and development company, works in big organizations typically, and helps them move from advice driven to curiosity led. So, you know, mm-hmm. clients are Salesforce and Microsoft and other folks like that. Which which is awesome, but I also now that I stopped being the CEO of that company. Some another team runs that company now, which is fabulous. They do a much <laughs> better job. I'm not a great, yeah, I'm a terrible CEO. CEO. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Shannon Menifee is our brilliant CEO, and she has a brilliant leadership team. And in fact, everybody. I mean, I love this company. But I'm also, Andy, in this kind of moment going, well, who am I now outside Box of crayons? Because I wore that identity for almost 20 years. I mean, you know, with your new partnership with Ring DNA, you might have been going through a similar thing. Who am I now? How's mm-hmm, that shifting? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, um, and I've been going, what? So my new venture, which is MBS.works, um, which is a sandbox for me to play in. But I'm like, what do I stand for in this world? And I'm still experimenting, but currently I'm playing with this idea of be curious, be courageous, and be the best version of yourself. Yes. And that's all coming around to this piece that so it's a saying, which is like, actually, this helps people fulfill their potential. And it means that you get to create some of the space in your own life to fulfill your own potential as well.
0: Yeah, and I, I, this is a theme I address in my writing. I got an acronym that i called just Bvoy which is you know, best version of yourself I love which that. which is what if you can accomplish that in any dimension it's going to benefit all the other dimensions in your life and that's yeah. and if you come at it through reading a book like yours or getting a an insight of something you're doing in a sales perspective that enables you to be more authentic and your the connections you make with people and so on who cares where it comes from yeah so
1: how do you How do you make the link between bevoy be the best version of yourself and the elite people in the world of sales
0: Well I think for the most part they are right I mm-hmm. think that that that's one of the secrets to their success so if I look at my own career and had yeah. fortune to have great success in in sales and even before starting my own company and then the companies I've worked with supporting them to success is for me, it all starts with that connection, you know, that human connection. Yeah. And I, I look at sales as sort of this you know, logical progression of things that happens and not as a, a sales process, but it is as a recognition that if, if I don't do a good job uh, establishing that first initial connection and building the rapport, building the trust, it doesn't matter what follows. If I don't do a good job, everything that follows is diminished as a result yeah. of that. And it doesn't yeah. mean that doesn't mean the customer is not going to continue to talk with me, but as I like to say, from that moment forward, if I don't do a good job, I'm fighting for second place mm-hmm. and in sales, second place gets you nothing <laughs> <So> there's, <laughs> right there's no consolation prize, and the difference between winning and losing is always you should always assume it's just one percent, yeah, and so how do I start gaining that one percent edge? Well, it's just being me and making these connections and I've been before starting my own company years ago, but I, I mean, spent 25 years selling really complex technical products without any technical background at all, mm-hmm. other than what I'd learned, self taught. But if in that environment, how to succeed, you know, every time I went back and analyzed it, it started with those connections. Right. It didn't finish with the connections, but started with the connections. Yeah. And yeah, trying not to be, well, it was just fun reading the book because it's, the things you talk about is trying not to be what you called an advice monster, which right. took, took experience to learn that my job wasn't to impose my beliefs on, on the customer and my recommendations on the customer, but to help them find that path themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, if, if you wanted to give this ho- this new book, the advice trap, a hashtag, it would boil down to tame your advice monster, which was, you know, a, it was a single line in the coaching habit and probably the line that <laughs> gets tweeted and mentioned <laughs> most often where people go, Oh my God, I have an advice monster. I'm like, yes, you do. And you know what? Almost everybody does. And if you're not sure, I mean, to the people who are listening, if you're not sure whether you have your advice monster, here's a test. Somebody starts talking, and even though you don't know that person particularly well, even though you don't really know the context that they're talking about or the other people involved or really the nuances of the situation or the technical specifications or the cultural context – Nonetheless, after about 10 seconds, there's something in your head and you're like, I've got something to tell you. I've got an, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to add some value to this conversation. Here I go. And if you've ever experienced that moment, and I know you have, oh, yeah, then, active, you, uh, then you've, got, you've got an advice monster, as do we all. Yes. And it turns out so much of coaching is, it's not just what you do, it's also what you don't do. You know, and if the coaching habit says, "Here's what to do." Here are the seven questions that can lay a foundation for you to be much more coach-like and much more effective. The flip side, the what you have to not do is not let your advice monster wander loose. You got to tame your advice monster,
0: right? And so you you define three personas for mm-hmm. the advice monster. And as I was going through these, and we'll talk about here is is. You know, in some cases, these roles are institutionalized in in the job description. Sure. Much. So you have three personas: tell it, save it, control it. So tell us about those three.
1: Yeah, well, I and I just want to absolutely agree with you that there's a way of behaving that is institutionalized. So in the act of being more coach-like and the act of taming your advice monster, in many organizations, you're being countercultural. So mm-hmm. it's worth recognizing that that situation that you might find yourself in. So, yeah, three advice monsters. Tell it, save it, and control it. Tell it, the noisiest of the three, has convinced you that the way you add value, and really the only way you add value, is to have all the answers. I mean, you need to have all the answers to all the things. and. You need to have them all the time. You need to have all the answers to all the things all the time. And if you don't have all those answers, then you are going to fail. Then you are failing. You are failing those around you.
0: That's the perception not, not the reality. Yeah, That's, right?
1: the, that's the perception. Yeah.
0: That's what your yeah. advice wants is telling you. Your advice once is telling if you don't have the answers, <laughs> what's wrong with you? And this is one of the roles I was talking about that's become institutionalized. So if, yeah. uh, having this conversation more and more with people about you know, you look at the role of a senior sales leader, a VP of sales, a CRO, even a director level, is the perception is that yeah, they are that person that's supposed to have all the answers. And It's ludicrous. And it's ludicrous <laughs> and it's, it's archaic in the way we structure that role. Yeah. And it puts these people in a bind because then they become reluctant to ask for help because yep. suddenly they're seen as less than yep. if they ask for help
1: you know i'm i'm going to i'm going to lay out the three reasons why your advice goes your advice goes wrong and it's particularly pre- prevalent with the talent advice monster mm-hmm. so look the first is this and i kind of implied it before which is honestly you don't even know what the problem is <laughs> in fact the other the other person who's talking to you doesn't really know what the problem is either in at the start right. of a conversation you're both finding your way to try and figure out what the real problem is and you just both think you know. <laughs> but honestly, it's a fair bet that almost every time the first challenge that shows up is never the real challenge. And if you launch yourself into try and solving that initial challenge, you're just wasting your time because you're solving the wrong problem.
0: And this relates to sales directly, too. Because, directly. Yeah, because I tell people <laughs> when I when I work with sellers is yeah, don't accept the first thing they say because a buyer says it face value.
1: Yeah. It, it's, I mean, the, the way I frame this, and this might be really helpful for those, all of you listening in the sales community, is you become a much more valued part of an ecosystem when you become brilliant at figuring out what the real challenge is. Right. Rather than the person who happens to have the answer. Because, and this is the second reason. <laughs> Number one, you don't know what the problem is. Number two, your advice is not nearly as good as you think it is. I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah. it's mostly out of date. It's 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 a bit random. The only bits that are really tested are the stuff that I can look up on Google, and I can get a much better answer much faster than from you. And you 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 have these cognitive biases that get in the way of you even understanding how bad your advice is. And in fact, there's an there's an irony, which is the more quietly confident you are about how awesome your advice is, the more likely it is that your advice is not that great. So <laughs> you're in this paradox. I mean, there's this thing called the Donna Kruger uh yep.
0: Donna really, Kruger effect, they call
1: it, I think. Yeah, Donna Kruger effect. Thank you. And the way I heard it described, which is <laughs> outstanding, which is stupid people are too stupid to realize that they're stupid. <laughs> yes, I think
0: that, well, it's a little harsh, but yeah. Exactly.
1: That is totally a little harsh. But it basically means that if you're thinking I'm, I'm pretty smart, it, there's a fair chance you're not as good as you think you are.
0: Exactly. Yeah, you're overconfident. And you're the downside them. and the downside becomes, is you become stuck in that paradigm. You stop learning. Yeah. And so to your point, is your advice that you start giving them becomes outdated.
1: So those are the first, the first two reasons that your advice can go bad. You're trying to solve the wrong problem, and then even if you've got the right problem, your advice actually isn't that great. But even if, and this is the kind of crucial moment really, even if, A, you're really clear on what the real problem is, And B, you actually have a genius solution. I mean, it's really good. It's gold dust. It's a pearl of wisdom. You then get to this third moment, which is what's the right act of leadership? Because you're at this crossroads. And one of them is you go down the first choice, which is you just give them the answer. You're like, here it is. Here's the answer. Go do it. And there is a time and a place for exactly that behavior. Don't get me wrong. This is not Mm anti-advice. It's anti-defaulting to advice giving being your default response. Right. And there are some times where you're like, the thing for me to do right now is to give you the answer. But you have another choice. And it's a choice. It's the road less taken. And it's a road that is often more powerful, which is you go, let me help you figure out the answer here. Let me hold the space. I'm going to make sure you don't walk out of here without the some right action to take you know I've got mm-hmm. your back uh-huh. but if I spend two minutes three minutes maybe as long as five minutes just have when you figure this out a you will probably come up with a good enough answer it might not be as good as your brilliant answer certainly that's what you're cognitive bias will tell you, but it's a fair bet they're going to come up with a half decent answer a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And in that act of saying, let me ask you some questions. Let me ask you, what's the real challenge here for you? You empower them. You help them become more aware, more competent, more confident, more autonomous, more self-sufficient And, you know, this isn't really trading short-term wins against long-term wins. It's trading a short-term loss against an almost immediate short-to-medium-term win, which is you've got better, smarter, more confident people on your team who don't feel the need to come to you every time for one of your wrong answers. (laughs) Everybody's (laughs) going to win in a situation (laughs) like that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is, again, this is one of these dual lessons applies. And i Follow up with a question on this afterwards about coaching itself is is yeah you develop people that have the ability to uh, more readily define the problem that they're trying to trying to solve and yep. have the wherewithal to address it. Exactly. And you want to think about it from a customer perspective. That's exactly what you want your customers to be able to do. You can come in and say, "Look, this is the solution, right? Yeah, we've got it." And what you're doing at that point is you're just selling bits and bytes. Yep. Where the other direction is, yeah, I can extend my curiosity. I can ask great questions. I can listen carefully. I can help them identify what the real challenge is, enroll them in coming up with ideas for what is the best solution, help Mm -hmm. them define what their options are for how they want to solve it. You're more likely to get a positive outcome from that approach than selling the bits and bytes.
1: Yeah. And there's something that may potentially happen. Um, along the way, which is you actually help them understand the problem in a whole new way. Yes. It's bigger, it's deeper, it's more profound. It's shifted off to the left. and that then itself is is the win. Like now you're like, these people help me figure out what was really going on. Do I want to hire you again, or or do I want to give my business to the guy who tried to the gal who tried to sell me the stuff as as she always does? you You're always going to come out ahead of that. Yeah. you know, and there's a there's a um a, a a guy a person you should get on this podcast um his new book which is from Harvard business review is called what's your problem and the he the he's a danish man thomas weddell weddelsborg i think is, he's, got a, he's got a name even more complicated than mine <laughs> I mean, you, you know, Andy Paul, you, you're at one entire end of the spectrum of name complexity. With Michael Bungay Stanier. Yeah. Exactly. Michael Bungay Stanier, you're pretty close to the other end. But Thomas Weddle Weddlesberg is like, <laughs> he goes, takes it to 11. But his ho- the whole book, and it's a really great book, uh, it's pretty new out in the world, is, is about learning the art of reframing. Mm-hmm. Because when you re- learn to reframe the problem, you learn to control your destiny. And that's part of what we're we're saying here, which is like when you rush to the action and the advice and the solution, you haven't taken the moment to reframe the conversation. And by you know, it's like an axiom in politics: when you frame the situation, you control the conversation.
0: Right. Well, so I wanted to ask this question about coaching because specifically in the sales world, there's this broad range of definitions of what coaching is. Right. And increasingly it's it's very transactional. Mm-hmm. I need help on strategizing what to do about this deal. Yeah. Or, you know, I've got some specific, you know, we're listening to a recorded phone call and and I want you to listen to that and help me. And so instead of it becomes very prescriptive. You know, the the, the coaches themselves have their advice monster, which they willingly yes. bring out into the open. Yeah. And it's less about, yeah, how do I help these people? Because it, it seems more expeditious to solve it for them rather than give them the tools to learn how to solve it going forward and become self-coached.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, there's an. If you want to be blunt about it, there's often a inherent uh, conflict of interests in the business model of coaching. Which and this is like whether you're a paid, you know, executive external coach, or even if you're just in an internal coach, which is um, if you can make people codependent on you. That's awesome. (laughs) It's just (laughs) not that awesome in terms of how do I, you know, help people be the best version of themselves? How do I create people who are autonomous and confident and Competent, all those things I was talking about before, um, and you know, it's you—you you wouldn't want to put this down to malice, not entirely, because there's all sorts of pressure from their organisation around driving success and driving behaviour change and, and the like. It's just, it's, it's a bit naive, it's a bit short-sighted, and it doesn't actually work that well because you just create dependence rather than um, a sense of autonomy.
0: Right, and I think, but one of the key problems is that is the coaching increasingly is geared towards. Look, we have this technology. We can we can, you know, listen to the phone calls, we can analyze use AI mm-hmm. to analyze phone calls and so on. And what we want to do is use this technology and use this coaching to have you be like this idealized individual right. who does these things the right things the right way, which is probably, you know, a compilation of of traits from a variety of people. So it's always about, you know, we want to coach you to become this this model <laughs> thing, yes, as opposed to being the best version of you.
1: Yeah. Well, it's the best version of you is always in a context and you've got to understand and play to the context. So, you know, if you decide the best version of you is a naked oil painter, then that's not going to work in a context of many organizations where you're trying to be a successful salesperson. Right. So it is a fair question to say, right. Right how do i give you the tools and how do i introduce you to structures and processes that will enable you to be the best version of you using tools that are the best the best processes and sales tools to be successful and you know this is a generic answer i realize but you know you're you're always looking for that balance which is how much structure and how much play you know how much yeah how much process, and how much personality. You know, that's, that's the, the, balance. That's the nice balance, which is how much process, how much personality. Yeah. And um, there's, no, there's no magic answer to that other than asking the question, do we have the right balance between process and personality? And if I had to put money on it, and I think this is what you're saying too, Andy, which is to say probably because of organizations Hunger to control.
0: Yes, that's exactly.
1: You're like, like we're just trying to. El- it'd be great if we could just eliminate human error <laughs> from mm-hmm. the system. By which means, you would be great if we could eliminate eliminate humans from the system. You know, there's a. I'll give you another great book that I've I've been reading lately and and loving. It's called Brave New Work by a guy called Aaron Dignan. D i g n a n and he, he is working with lots of organizations, some big, some, some small. And he's saying, look, the, the organization of the future, and by the future he means now. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, yeah, future, Future's been accelerated.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Has two has two core attributes. They are people positive, and they are complexity conscious. Mm-hmm. So you realize that your people are essential. It, that is your organization. It is your people. You've got, to, you've got to go, how do I bring out the very best of my people? And it's also realizing that organizations are complex systems. They're not complicated. Complicated is kind of like essentially machine-like. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you press a lever or pull a lever and something will pop out can, that you're expecting at the other end. A complex system says, actually, it doesn't work like that. They, they, they operate less by rules than by principles. And the organizations that will thrive in the future, certainly, I mean, you can make an argument about this, but let's just say the organizations that will thrive in the future, and certainly the organizations that I'm interested in trying to help create Mm -hmm. are those ones that have a complexity awareness and are people positive. And that's what will allow you to find the balance between personality and process.
0: Yeah, that's a great great way of phrasing it too, because I I oh got there's a American business thinker from nineteen twenties, I forget who the name, but but basically saying that yeah, you know, methods, you know, processes basically are a dime a dozen. Yeah. Princi- principles are few. Yeah. And and the principle driven organization is, is more likely to succeed. And I and I've been was struck by that because I think that's that's right on because you are saying, okay, it's not like you don't have a process, not like you don't have a structure but how do you enable people to operate within you know these series of constraints which may not be tightly binding but give them structure
1: yeah and the way you do it is you help them be better learners and coaching of course is a outstanding technology to help people learn because it builds into it awareness and commitment error feedback and it has the assumption of kind of repetition in that and um, you know, I keep throwing books at people. This is a bit more of a kind of a technical book, but, uh, by a neuroscientist called Stanislaus, what's his name? Uh, Stanislaus, somebody It's called how we learn. And, and it's like, he's, he is, he is a neuroscientist who at the very edge of education. And it's mostly about how kids learn, but it's how we all learn. And you need attention. You need commitment. You need error feedback. In other words, you try stuff out and you learn and you adapt and you adjust and you you get repetitions in, which is like quality attempts. Because the more you do it, the more error feedback you get, and you get that
0: virtuous circle. Yeah, I mean, did you read David Epstein's book Range? I mean, that spoke a lot about.
1: Yeah, I you know I have it. I'm staring at it in the enormous pile of unread books. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: bring it, bring it to the top. It's well worth reading.
1: I've heard nothing but good things about it. Yeah, yeah.
0: So. All right. So, last last thing I wanted to talk about is in the time we have is at, at the end of the book. You say it's all right. We've talked about all this. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't give advice. Exactly. It's just you give sort of three rules, and once you go through those three, three sure. rules,
1: yeah. So, this is if you hadn't picked this up already, let me say it again really clearly. This is is not a book against advice. Advice is critical. It's an everyday leadership action. You need to tell people stuff. We're just trying to slow down the rush to having it be your automatic default response. So you give somebody advice. And here's what's at risk when you give advice. You, some, so you set somebody up to lose because if it's bad advice, they either feel they have to take it or they feel they don't have to take it in which they say to you, it's bad advice. And either way, everybody loses either in the moment because somebody goes, yeah, you know, Andy, that's a stupid idea. Or mm-hmm. they go, Andy, that's okay, sure, Andy, my boss. I guess I'll do your idea, <laughs> even though I think it's idiotic. <laughs> oh, and look, I fail, so we, we lose. So my suggestion is that first of all, wait. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so just wait, wait a bit. Ask some questions. Just take you, cu- I'm not asking you to be curious for an hour. I'm going. Can you be curious for 120 seconds? Just like two or three minutes of asking questions before you serve up your gold dust. Then my suggestion is to say, look, when you give advice, put it make it tentative rather than directive. So I might say, So Andy, look, interesting. And I think I get what the challenge is for you now. Look, I've got some ideas. Um, and look, they might not be right. So you throw something on the table and what that does is if they go, yeah, Michael, that's not, that's, yeah, that's not quite right for me. You're like, yeah, I didn't think so. Um, And you're both able to walk away from the advice with a degree of nobody's lost face. You Mm say, look, this might not work, but let me suggest something. And then the third piece is to say, look, when you finish a conversation or when you've had a piece of advice, you check it out. You go, hey, let me just check what was most useful for you. What, What What part of that advice really landed with you? Because a that helps them figure out where the value is in the advice that you've offered, and it also helps you figure out where the value was in the advice that you offered. So you get a little smarter for the next time round. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> to the point you're making it. It's okay to say no, right? To advice. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, especially in the field. This community that's listening to this is, is, and you are responsible. Your boss could give you all the advice in the world, but if you don't make your number, you're the one that pays the price. Right. So (laughs) it is okay to say no.
1: You know, if you, I mean, one of the ways to kind of drill down to the kind of the heart of the work that I do, it would be to try and create adult to adult relationships at work. And, You know, when I say that, often people nod their head and go, "Well, that sounds very good, (laughs) very wise." Mm -hmm. And they're like, "But I'm not quite sure what that even means." And what I would say to people is, one definition is adult to adult means being able to ask for what you want, knowing that the answer may be no, and Mm -hmm. feeling like you have the right and sometimes the responsibility to say no to. Requests and advice and opinion is a very very powerful place in which to stand. And if you're a person who leads a team, part of your job is to try and build a culture where people can have the confidence to say no to what you bring to them.
0: Yeah. I mean, otherwise, if you expect people to always say yes, then the arrogance is pretty, pretty blinding. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> at that point. And you really need to read Michael's or, book.
1: Some, somebody once said, if I have a yes man on my team, then one of us is redundant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, then that, that's that's frightening in two dimensions because one, that person, <laughs> they're always right. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, Michael, unfortunately we've run out of time, but it's been a pleasure
1: to talk we, to you. Uh, you. We, we didn't even get look. I, um, we didn't even get to talk about the other two advice monsters. So let me just say this oh, to people: ahead, ahead. Yeah. Um, if if the advice monster idea intrigues you. Um, At theadvicetrap.com, so this is the URL of the book, theadvicetrap.com, there's actually a little questionnaire. It's like 20 questions, so maybe five minutes, which you can quickly take, and it will actually guide you to which of the three advice monsters, tell it, save it, or control it, is the strongest force for you, plus give you some strategies on how to tame that. So if you'd like to dig a little deeper, then theadvicetrap.com.
0: Yeah, and I'm just going to tell you, go out and buy the book. And if you haven't read The Coaching Habit, buy that. And they're both the virtue of, of short, concise books, which that goes high on my list as well. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> yeah. So I encourage people to buy them. Michael, again, pleasure. And I look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: Yeah, it's been a ton of fun. Thank you.
0: Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my friend, Michael Bungay-Stanier, for sharing his wisdom with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. And if you could also leave us a rating or a view and let us know how we're doing, we'd really appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. Thank you for your help, and thank you for investing your time to join me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.